You are listening. You are listening to the fly. You are listening to the fly fishing ninety seven podcast. Yeah, there's there's times that it, that that does happen. We've seen, you know, you got a really slick, calm day after a storm, and the rivers uh, pump high. They're, the river levels get high after like like say we get like ten inches of rain. Two or three days after that, those rivers are going to be pumping sediment and all kinds of food, whatever, anything that's coming out of those rivers is pumping right at, uh, out at the at the pierhead. And days like that, when it's slick calm, there might be a haze or a fog over the water. It's, it's not uncommon to see one or 200 steelhead on the surface. Like there's been days where we're like, man, we should have a, we should have a 10 weight fly rod or a nine weight fly rod with just any, and I promise any, any green or chrome or blue, you know, even articulated flies will work. You know, I think three, four inches long with a big hook on it, hang on, because <laughs> it's going to happen. And and it's just hard to get close enough to them to cast to them. You know, it's like fishing fishing flat for bonefish. They're very, they're, they're a smart fish. They can, they can swim 26 feet per second and they can see, you know, 100 yards any direction. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. This week we're going to chat with Jason Rose of Nuego, Michigan. We're going to talk steelhead salmon walleye the Muskegon River, and Lake Michigan in just a moment. And also we'll get to our top 10 cities on the podcast this week. The program is brought to you by the Fly Crate. Since 2015, the Fly Crate has taught thousands of anglers world-class fly fishing techniques. They provide unique fly fishing flies, gear, and tackle. The Fly Crate is an American-owned company, and they're committed to helping USA veterans by dedicating 2% of sales to Project Healing Waters. Check them out at www.theflycrate.com. Top 10 cities this week, and thanks folks for listening. We're Portland, Oregon, Quakertown, PA, Sandy, Utah, Price, Utah, Fort Smith, Arkansas, Akron, Ohio, Surrey, BC, Poughkeepsie, New York, Penticton, British Columbia, and Philadelphia, PA. This week on the podcast, we want to say thanks for coming on to Captain Jason Rose. Jason is out of Nuego, Michigan. He spends a lot of time chasing big fish on big water, uh, sometimes with a fly rod, sometimes with a spinning rod. But uh, trust me, this guy covers a lot of water. He even does ice fishing in the winter and runs J. Rose Outdoors. I want to take it back kind of to the beginning for you, uh, Jason. How did you get into fishing in general? Now, I realize... This obviously is a fly fishing show, but um, I'm not naive enough to think that most people that come to fly fishing started out with spinning gear in hand. So tell us about your story and how it started for you. I grew up on the Muskegon River um, in the Nuevo area, always fishing. My grandpa, actually my first first rod I ever touched was a fly rod. My grandpa um, taught me how to fish. First fish I ever caught was a, a brown trout. And my grandpa, growing up, had you know, they had the family farm, whatever, moved back. And there was this Creek out back Wilkins Creek and it's in Northeastern Michigan. And, uh, he used to take me out night fishing for these, for Browns. And at one time I was, man, I had been about eight years old and I would always go with him and he was like, okay, well here, you know, I want you to try it. And what we would do is we would take a night crawler and he would just wad that thing up on a big old hook 
Eagle Claw Hook had like a four foot, 12 pound leader, and he would just float these night crawlers. Sometimes if there was a lot of current, he would use one small split shot. And, but most of the time he would just leave the floating fly line on and just pay it out and let it float down, down the Creek. And those Browns would absolutely, and I, and I still do it today. I take my daughter out. That's how I've, I've become to teach her how to fish. And you gotta, you gotta deal with the mosquitoes and the bugs and, you know, no light. You cannot turn a light on. That's absolutely not, you know, don't do it. And, uh, and we started catching, you know, I was catching, you know, 10, 15 inches, smaller trout. And then he took me out one night and he caught a rainbow that was, I think, I think it was 28 inches. And when, and he, and he kept it, put it in the freezer, ended up eating it. He was going to mount it. I don't know if he ever did. I can't really remember, but that was the first time I ever went, Oh my God, this is what I have to do. This, I want to do this every day. And it was always a passion of mine. I never thought it was going to be my career. Um, and it just, it blossomed from there. You know, I, I learned how to fish that way and that's not conventional fly fishing by any means. No. Um, but it just shows how versatile a fly rod really can be. I mean, um, we have, have you ever heard the term chucking, ducking, you know, with, with taking a, taking a fly rod, but you know, a 20 pound monofilament line on it with, you know, a sinker and a leader and you have a long leader and you're more or less flossing the fish. That's very common up here. And as I started my guide service, that's what, you know, I, I, I'm sure you, you kind of go with the fads of fishing, you know, sometimes, you know, the last 20 years you see fly fishing got really big and then there's different styles of fishing and there's different groups or different genres of fishermen. And at the time fly, when I started guiding fly fishing was like the deal and everyone here in the Midwest started this chuck and ducking thing. And once these guys realized that they could catch these big fish on a fly rod, they thought they were somebody. And to, to, to us that know the sport and that, appreciate what a fly rod really is and what it means and the the skill it takes to catch a fish on that it's just like yeah this ain't really this ain't doing it you know you're 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 getting these fish to bite but 99 percent of the time when we're in that scenario and we're doing that those are spawning fish that anywhere else in the world you wouldn't even be able to fish them and so to me you know we started our our guide service saying you know we fly fish but it I, I steered away from that as soon as i could you know as soon as i got to the level where okay i know how to fish bait i know the style and technique that catches most fish for me i've i've kind of graduated and moved on to one thing um and one technique you know it's a, it's it's something that over over the years and over the course of my life i just i'm always improving and seeking that new challenge and teaching people is is something that you know is an added bonus with it you know i enjoy i enjoy teaching my passion and my in my art to, to someone that's never done it before like uh yesterday for example i had um, a couple guys out on the ice that he called me like Friday night. He's like, man, I've been up here ice fishing for a week now, staying in my cabin. I take, took a week off work to bring my boy up here. I've been fishing. We haven't caught one single fish. He said, I see you're doing good. You know, I only have a half a day tomorrow and I got, and I got to go back home to Detroit. He's like five hours away from home. And he's like, I got to catch some fish with my kid. He's like, he's eight years old. He's like, I just, I can't do it by myself. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I took him out and we had a terrible day of fishing. I mean, it was just slow. It was tough and it has been. And the young man caught his eight year old boy caught, uh, and he hooked probably three or four walleye. And then he caught one himself and he caught like a 15, 16 inch perch and a yellow perch. And that's a big one, you know? <laughs> so he caught the fish of a lifetime and the, 
the kid's dad was like, that was unbelievable. He goes, I just don't have the patience or the time to be able to show him something like that. And I mean, I know I gained a customer for life. Absolutely. You know, and it was, it was a tough day of fishing. I, I love I love the fact though, Jason, that you're so versatile because let's speak to that a little bit because I know you've been in this guiding game a lot of years. How important yeah. is it to be able to fly fish, to be able to do some spin fishing, to be able to do some trolling, some ice fishing when that you know that cold yeah. weather's on us? What what does that bring to your season? Um, what that brings to my season is number one, I've got my my client base, which is the heart of my business. I can I can fish those people year round, you know, four different seasons and I'm not doing the same thing in any season. So that's, therefore I'm in, I'm employing myself for up to 365 days a year. And that's, that's where the versatility really comes in. Cause there's a lot of guys out there that get discouraged. And especially as a guide, when, when you're labeled as a guide, you're supposed to be the know all be all. And if you're not, it's very apparent very quickly. Um, so to be able to do that, you you take a lot more losses than successes. And learning that over the years, you, you know when to trust your instinct, you know when you're right, you know when you're wrong. And it just hones my skills for each season, whether it's, you know, steelhead fishing on the river or ice fishing on a lake. You know, I mean, it keeps you fishy. It keeps you in in focus with the fish. You can find a pattern quicker and you're, you're just more ready, you know, to where a lot of guides that, you know, may have the means to, I only need to work a hundred days a year or 90 days a year. You know, those guys will focus on one skill, but they only do it one or two seasons out of the year. And what I've noticed from my, I don't want to call them necessarily my competitors, but maybe my peers, I can catch a lot more fish quicker. And it's just because when you're doing that 300 days a year versus 100, you're honing your skills as a fisherman, no matter the species. And that's where the versatility really comes in because it keeps me, keeps me on my A game more or less for you know, one, one species to the next. We're chatting today with Jason Rose from J Rose Outdoors out of Nuego, Michigan. Uh, Jason, I'd like to take a second to get to know you a little bit, ask you some, some rapid fire questions. You ready? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right, man. So when you're on, you're on your way to the lake or on the way to the river, what's your favorite music to listen to on the way? Yellow Wolf. Yellow Wolf. <laughs> yeah, right. he's a uh, he's a, a rapper from Alabama, and I I don't know why. I mean, he's <laughs> the music isn't uh, exactly fam, family friendly, but I get in my truck and I just get in the zone. Or if I'm in the boat on the way to the spot, you know, I'm going fast. Nobody can hear my music anyways. I turn it up, and it just it gets me in the in the zone. I guess I love it. One go to fly pattern you can't live without streamer type pattern. What would you What would you say? Oh, um, does a par count? Sure. Par pattern? I, I'll tie a par pattern to just about any streamer I have, especially in the spring. I mean, it's just a, it's a go-to. It catches fish every time. Favorite place to talk fly fishing? Is there a coffee shop or a fly shop in Nuevo in your yeah. area that you like to go and get your fix? Yeah, I'll give a shout-out to the Muskegon River Fly Shop, uh, Justin and Chuck Ad- Adkinson. Um they are their their business is called Muskegon River Fly Shop, but they are also not just a fly shop. They you know he can he can give you every piece of information, every good fly report. He has some of the top um, guides in in the um, in the shop almost every day. Whether they you know they're just talking or you know picking up new flies or you know meeting their customers there, 
you know, we're, we're all in there, you know, three or four days a week, seeing what's going on, seeing who's catching fish and, you know, obviously what, you know, what, what kind of stories we can get out of each other, you know, whether they're uh, truth or, you know, fish stories, <laughs> but, but they're also, yeah. they're also a, a good shop to go to float fishing is very popular here. And, uh, and they, they've got everything. They're one stop float shop as well. So they've got everything. They've got you covered. Okay. Let's talk sports. This might yep. be a tough one. Uh, bears, lions, red wings, blackhawks, tigers, Michigan, white Michigan Sox, football. cubs, Michigan football. Michigan football is all I really get into. You know, I used to be a, cool. a, a diehard Tigers fan, and I've never really enjoyed NFL football, so I've never really gotten into the Lions. But, uh, you know, it's from yeah. from all my friends' perspective, they're a, they're a pretty big disappointment. <laughs> but I don't really get into it much. You're... You know, I, I watch college football because that's really the only sport um, that I've really ever enjoyed watching. You know, I think college football has – it's a little bit more real than NFL. You know, I think – in the last 10 years, NFL has kind of turned into WWE wrestling. Just kind of seems more fabricated than, you know, and more money involved than what college is. You know, it's still a sport and it's still still something that interests me, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I get I get what you're saying. A lot yeah. of those sports, I think, are really pure before, you know, just before you really get to the pro level because everybody wants to make it so hard. There's so much passion. Everybody gets behind their team and those fans are loyal. Yeah. Yep. Biggest lesson you've learned uh, through your fly fishing journey? Ooh, lesson I've learned, you know, it, in fly fishing, mm. patience. Um, you know, I tell a lot of clients, you know, we'll um, in our area, you know, we have good numbers of fish, and our catch rate is normally pretty high compared to a lot of other places in the world, just because we have a stocked fishery and a very uh, well managed fishery. Um, and a lot of guys will look at pictures and they see social media and these guys that are just smashing fish all the time and we make it look good and however it might um, be perceived to whether it's a novice angler or someone that is just trying to um, hone their skills and learn a few new techniques patience Um, you know sometimes guys show up and they just want to catch all the fish that are in the river and and be able to become an overnight success at fly fishing just because they went with a guide for one day I appreciate those customers that have most patience with me and I also provide them with that patience. You know, it's, it's very easy for a guy to get impatient with a, a you know, I don't want to add mouth a charter customer, but when you've got a customer that's very pushy, like, well, and we should be catching them, we should be catching them. And there's times where I want to look at them and say, yeah, I, I wish I could help you catch them that way. And if it were me casting the rod, I could catch them that way, but you're not at that level yet. And there are customers out there that can take that with a grain of salt and they can improve their skills. So the next time they come to pay me, they get their money's worth. And Hmm. I I appreciate those guys. And I've learned more lessons from those types of people. There's a lot of high expectations when you're fishing a fishery that is very productive. Um, You know, and then there's also those people that realize like, well, they're catching fish because they know how, and you're not going to learn that. You're not going to learn how to fly fish in a day. I mean, I don't care who the guide is around the world. You're going to learn you're going to learn a hundred percent more than what you knew the day before, but you, it's, you got to have patience with it. You got to take time. You know, it's like, I, I compare it to golf a lot, a lot. you know, you're not just going to pick up a, a golf club and be Tiger Woods overnight. You know, it's, you got to yeah. put in your work, you got to put in your due diligence and just like the rest of us, you got to pay for that education. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good quote. I like it. When you're not fly, <laughs> yeah. when you're not fly fishing, you're doing what? Uh, I'm fishing somewhere. 
I'm doing something, you know, I've, uh, I traveled to the Keys. I've fished down there. Um, I ice fish in North, Northern Michigan, um, and on Saginaw Bay, which is Lake Huron. Um, and I fish locally in the winter. Um, but I, I live on the river, so it's hard for me to do any, much else. I just enjoy it so much. And then basically anything outdoors. I'm, I'm hunting. I, I duck hunt quite a bit. I deer hunt. Um, you know, and I spend time with my kids, my family. Cool. What's the best job you've ever had? Um, man, I've had a lot of jobs. I was, I gotta be honest, it's probably my military experience. I was in the U S army for about 10 years and that was probably the best job I've ever had. It wasn't the greatest and it's not always the the most fun, but as far as rounding me out to, to prep me for a career as a guide, I think being in the military really, uh, it gave me the versatility. I met so many different people and was in so many different places in the world and to see things and to know people and to know where people come from. I think, I think it really, uh, it kind of, uh, gave me a, a good start to be able to have a guide service and be able to, to talk to different people or teach, you know, especially teach different people from different parts of the world, you know, having, having understood that there's a language barrier sometimes and, someone that is, you know, a local guide and never left this area and has always talked to someone that spoke English. That's a, that's a good way to throw them off. You know, I have someone that maybe speaks Spanish or only French that's in my boat and it's, it's hard to communicate. And that communication barrier when you're trying to teach someone is what separates the good guides from the younger guides. I guess there's no bad guide out there, but the, the younger ones, the more, the more uh, less experienced. And I've noticed that throughout my entire career um i've got a lot of friends that have been in the industry 30 40 years and they may not have traveled the world like i did but their travels throughout their experience as a guide has given them that that's uh one up on a, a newer guide and i think i had that already and i could talk to people when i started this and i started it from scratch i never worked for another guide i've um you know i traveled worked at other at lodges or you know i've got friends that have guide services and we work together um throughout the season but uh basically starting it from scratch you have to know how to talk to people and i think um you know my my time in the army gave me gave me that little competitive edge how how important is it to meet people where they're at so you know when you when you have clients come out and like you say you're gonna have them from every walk of life and i always think that is such a a lost art and an underappreciated one as somebody that's kind of um directing this trip you know uh, you're deciding where you're going to go what species you're going to target what like how important is it to, to meet that that client where they are yeah yeah basically i have to i have to understand and know my my place of business you know i've i've grown up in this area so when i'm i'm meeting a person for the first time whether i'm selling them a trip or um you know taking them on a trip um, I try to, before I ever get in the boat or when I first make contact with that person, ask them where they're staying, how they got here, how they were recommended to me, how, you know, get some, establish some rapport with the person and see where they're coming from. And that's huge because that'll tell me in a five minute conversation or standing there smoking a cigarette, whatever we're doing before we get into the boat. And I do this every single day. I will stop whether we're running 15, 20 minutes late. I stop and I take that five or 10 minutes or if I'm just getting the boat in and we're just getting ready to take off, I will ask them three or four questions before we ever even take off, see where they're coming from, see who they are, just so I can know 
what I'm dealing with here. Do I need to teach you how to cast this rod? Do I need to just hand you the rod and you're going to do the rest? Cause there are guys that can do that. Like, Nope. I, or I brought my own rod. I can do my own thing. And all I have to do is put that person on fish and they can do the rest. But there's also that person that I've never picked up a spinning rod before and they hold it upside down or a fly rod and they hold it, hold it upside down and don't, don't know what they're doing. And at that point, you know, that's when you, you set the pace for the trip. And I, I, I think I've seen, and I know I've done it in, in my experience too. If you don't take that time and you don't do that, you're going to have a long day. <laughs> <laughs> that's well put. So that's why it's important because you have to understand where that person's coming from and, yeah. and who they are. So that way you can provide them that quality of service or, or that education, if you will. Who would you say has been the biggest influence on your fishing? Like who did you learn the most from? Um, my my cousin. My cousin is the one that got me into this industry and kind of got me my start. And I, I, you know, I don't want to sit here and say I owe it all to him, but he really fired up that passion. And together we realized that, you know, he could be a charter guy and so could I, or a guide and so could I. And especially with fly fishing, um, you know, we had a couple um, guides and friends in the area that, you know, would teach us things and, and we would learn together and he was a pro bass. My cousin was a pro bass fisherman for uh, most of our life. I think 18 years, um, you know, straight out of high school, got sponsored and made it to the big leagues. And he was in the FLW tour, fished in the Bassmaster Elite or Bassmaster Classic, Fish League Series, won many, many times. And I always looked up to him. And we started fishing together when we were kids. And I always looked up to him because he started with it and stuck with it and is still doing it today. Um, and I think, I think he's taught me the most. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't always made it easy. And, he, and, and that's what I like about it. You know, there's a lot of fishermen that got into this industry or become guides because they learned from another guide or they, they went to a place where they had a full pro staff of hundreds of years of collected knowledge. Mm-hmm. And him and I, he and I took, took our life experiences and the things that we've done and traveling and fishing different fish and then, you know, fishing the fish that we've fished here on our home river our whole life and have made careers out of it. And, you know, if it wasn't for him, I, you know, I know I wouldn't be doing it today. What's his name? And my cousin, his name is Nate, his name's Nate Wellman. Okay. You know, and he also has his own charter. He also has his own charter service. We started out together, um, eight years ago. And then, you know, we decided once we started getting our own clients and our own styles of fishing, we decided it was more appropriate that we each be independent, but we work together every day. That's the best way to up your, so, up your game in anything, whether you're talking your golf game or your, your fly fishing game. You surround yourself yeah. with people that are better than you or very good at it. That's, that's a great way to learn. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and also, you know, going to um, work at, lodges in alaska you know i was handpicked and recommended to go to, to those lodges from from uh, guys that had watched me growing up on this river that you know work up there it's you know it's a lot of us from michigan um get picked or get hired to go to alaska because we have the same fish here and we can fish them year round you know you go up there for the summer and then we fish them here spring and fall so right there we've we've got that guys from michigan have a little bit more of a competitive edge because there's such a a good market for salmon and steelhead fishing and fly fishing and just everything right here. So when, when we go to Alaska, we don't skip a beat. You jump right in a boat and it's the same thing I was doing two weeks ago in Michigan. You know, it's really cool. <laughs> that is, I'm going to ask you to harness your, your inner artist 
can you kind of paint a picture for us? Describe your perfect day on the water. So if you got up this morning and were either spending some quality solo time on the water or taking a client out, what does your perfect day look like? My perfect day looks like finding a fish in every, every spot that I look for them at. You know, I don't, there are days when I can sit on a spot and I know that there's 15, 20, 30 steelhead in that spot, you know, in a sprint in the spring when they're moving, obviously moving up to spawn, you know, there might be that many fish in a spot or like a winter day such as today when there might only be two or three in that run or held up in that area. So they're going to be a lot more um, difficult to get, to get to bite or to, to take. And uh, if I was to go out by myself, there's always my favorite spots. I've fished my whole life. I'm like, yep, I love catching them here, but I won't stay on that spot. So like, yep. Okay. I found them right where, right where I expected. Okay. Let's go check another spot. And I turn it into more of a hunt than, okay, let's just sit here and catch fish. And those are my favorite days. You know, even on, even on the ice, whether I'm ice fishing, whether I'm fly fishing, any, it's, it doesn't matter what kind of rod you have in your hand. It's still finding, keeping that passion real and, and hunting, you know, whether, and there are days when, you know, in the, in the spring, I'll start fly fishing a lot more because I know, okay, I've got three or four days of fly fishing and then I, I might do a couple of days of, of spinning rod fishing. Then I need to up my game so that that way I can be prepared. So I'll fly fish for four, three or four days in a row on my own just to know, you know, cause I'm not going to depend my, my customer's day on a report from a local fly fisherman. I'm going to take that report, you know, process it into myself and go out there and do it prior to yeah. taking someone out there and, and teaching them. I mean, you know, half of a fly fishing trip or more is learning, you know, you're constantly, you know, men, 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 or, you know, roll cast, just flip it right into there, get it in there by that log. And, being keyed into those small little adjustments will will make you successful. And and so when I when I fish personally or go out day to day, that's what I do. You know, there's I always like to ask guides that because you know it's almost like you're seeing the water a lot of times through somebody else's eyes. But take when you take the client out of the picture oh, yeah. for two minutes and you say, "What does your day look like?" Describe that to us and. I, I, I find the answers fascinating because it's all of a sudden it's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Is there anything, <laughs> is there anything you'd like to see us do differently in fishing as a whole or fly fishing? Is there anything that kind of you think we could do better at? You know, one thing, um, big, big, big in the fishing industry and around the world is I hear the biggest complaint is Facebook or the internet ruined fishing. And it's not, it's not the internet. It's not Facebook. It's, it's the people, you know, the people we are, we're all fishermen. We all have the same passion and we all, you know, want to learn. And absolutely. We all want to catch fish. Um, you know, I'll get, I always get that question. Oh, where's, where are they at? You know, where they're at, you know, exactly where they're at, blah, blah, blah. No, I always don't. And no guide ever really does. You know, you know how to find them, you know, where to find them, but if they're not there, they're not there. Um, and I think that, you know, the internet gives that novice or that guy that just wants to brag, oh, I caught this many, I caught that many and, and post it all over the internet. And then they complain, oh, why are you guys all showing up at my fishing spots and doing this? You know, the, I guess the ego out there gets the best of us and then we blame it, blame it on the internet. And I think that if more guys would, would take their passion more seriously and realize that, yeah, if you're going to brag and, and post all your pictures all over the place, then yeah, you're going to, you're going to get a lot of attention and, 
and that's the, I, th- I think that's the one thing that really gets to me. Like you bring, like, I just want to tell guys, you brought that on yourself. You, you did it to yourself, you know, and, and as a small business owner, and you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that, you know, you've got to have pictures, you've got to have live action, but there's other ways to show it other than bragging or, or letting your ego go to your head. Just, you know, be honest and, and try to, instead of telling everybody where your fishing spot is or, and then complaining about it, you know, maybe teach somebody something, teach them how you found that spot and don't ever tell them your spot. You know, that's what I'd rather do. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. send them, send them looking for them just like, just like I did, <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying I ever get bad information out there and I wouldn't do that, but right. it, that's the truth. You know, if I, if I give him a piece of solid advice and a solid tip, that's worth more to a person, you know, it's, it goes back to the old saying, teach a man, teach a man to fish, you, you, you'll give him fish for a lifetime and, you know, give him a fish and fish for a day. That's yeah. exactly the, that's the truth. You know, and I think that's where guys say, oh, the internet ruined it. No, you, you forgot where you came from is really what, what happened. <laughs> yeah, you're 100% right. Eagles get in the way. And not every big fish, not every fish you catch is going to be big. That's what drives me nuts with the, uh, <laughs> with the social media. Everybody expects that you know, yeah. 20 pound plus, uh, spring or, or king every time it's, you, you know what I'm yeah. curious about in your game, cause you're on the big water a lot. How important is the, um, electronic devices in locating those fish for you? Man, all in the last few years, I, if you'd asked me that question five years ago and asked me that question today, the answers are completely different. Hmm. Um, you know, especially in, I'll just give you an example with ice fishing, um, you know, Garmin, and Lawrence have come out with the live scope or the live scan where you can, you can uh, put that transducer down there and you can point it in any direction and you can actually see the structure and see the fish and you can actually see the shape of the fish. Um, and that's really cool. It doesn't help me find fish anymore, but, or any better than any other piece of electronic or, you know, my gut instinct does, mm-hmm. but the guys that have that and the guys that use that and know how to use those electronics catch more fish. And it's because you can cover ground and you can know what's down there or know what's, what's underneath the water um, a lot faster than you can if you're just putting in the time making casts or even moving, you know, on the ice fishing related moving around. And uh, so that's where, to me, electronics w- will not catch the fish for you. You need to know how to use your electronics and how to make your plan accordingly. And I think that the electronics is a, the best way to cut your time in half, mm. especially on especially on big water. I mean, there's so much ground to cover, yeah. right? Yeah, and that's why I said you got to know how to use them, and you've got to be able to trust them. You know, like on on Lake Michigan, we have a lot of days that are foggy, and you might not be able to see a hundred feet in front of your boat. And if you know how to use your radar and know how to trust your radar, that radar will never lie to you. I'm not going to say that on the mapping because there is a little bit of a difference in the mapping. You know, I trust my mapping, but um, just about anybody out there that that has used used that stuff and knows that it's not quite exactly because you know there's shifting currents, the bottom shifts, everything changes. You know, lakes and and water is ever flowing, ever moving, um, so things change a little bit. But but for the most part, they're spot on. You know, as far as my navigation, um, you know, the the Rance, Garmin, all the you know, hummingbirds, they all, they're all great. I mean, I think they can put you within 10 feet. You know, I can, I can make, I can go out there and make drill a hole in the middle of a five mile wide lake and then drive back two days later or send you back two days later. And my Lawrence will put you uh, exactly on that hole. 
I, I always look at it too. These are all tools, right? And they're all cumulative, right? So if you have the best electronics, if you have the best experience, you know where to go just from, because you've been there before when you pinpoint that spot on the water, it just adds more to your arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. And not only does it add more to your arsenal and those tools are great, but I know as a fisherman, there's a lot of times where it's like, man, I want to trust my gut on this one, but I just don't know. And with the electronics, you'll know. I, you know what I keep thinking of? I, I don't know if you see this on the Great Lakes a lot, but because we, we got some 100-mile lakes around me that are maybe a mile, mile or two wide, so nothing like the, the water you're fishing. But, I mean, these are, these are very deep, very big waters, have some big trout. But when, when you're looking at the electronics and, you, you know, the water's flat, you're not really seeing a lot, all of a sudden you see just a, a school of bait fish and then a couple of big shadows following it. That's when I start getting excited. Yeah. You know, is, is there a lot of that? Is it, yeah. It's kind of like ocean fishing for you probably in a lot of ways. Yes. Yes. I, and I, you know, I don't, yes, I would relate it closely to ocean fishing. However, um, after fishing kings and trout and steelhead in Alaska, um, both in fresh and salt water, mm-hmm. um, I think our kings here in Lake Michigan, you know, they're, they're they've adapted to, you know, they're the same, the same species that, that, you know, they, our fish came from the West coast originally. Um, and they've adapted to the great lakes in such a way that they feed a, a little bit different. You know, there's not as much food, there's a lot more competition and they have limited area. Whereas in the ocean, it's more or less unlimited. Right. And so that's why I think the, uh, the fish there get a lot bigger, but I've noticed trolling and, and you can see it from, I guess you could say East coast to West coast, you know, over here, we troll the great lakes. We troll completely different than anyone else does in the world. Um, and I, I think that's because these fish and we've, we've adapted to this style of fishing because these fish are, they're a little bit different. They don't feed quite the same. You know, they may, they may push bait together and they may feed on it the same way that, that pelagic fish will do in, in the ocean. And um, it's just, they're not quite, you know, they don't get as big and the schools aren't as big and the numbers you know, aren't quite, you know, we have a fraction of the fish that the West coast gets or even Alaska, you know? Um, but yes, when I see, when I see a ball of bait, I get very excited. And while we're trolling in essence, you know, we might see a ball of bait and, and try to drive through it or stay near that or mark that spot and come back to it. But they're, uh, they're so spread out that there's times when, yeah, there might be bait pushed up or there, it might be together, but there's not a whole lot of fish going on or a, a whole lot of fish in the area or near it, which is very rare. But in those situations, it's, it's the fish have, they've already been there and they're, they're filled up and gone. You know, they're, they're somewhere digesting their, their full stomachs. But most of the fish we catch, most of the fish that we are catching on the Great Lakes, and I, and I mean that steelhead, salmon, lake trout, cohos, they're all, their their mouths are just exploding with alewives coming out when we catch them you know especially a lake trout we, we've got lake trout that are 25 pounds that have you know 10 or 12 inch alewives in them and there's four of them just gorging out of their mouth when we when we pull them in <laughs> that's that's always a good sign so yeah so you can promise you find a ball of bait there's going to be predators near it you know i always thought yeah. it'd be a blast to be able to get on those bait balls and just uh, just kind of park near them just within fly casting distance and strip a uh, you know a streamer pattern through there and hang on yep yeah yeah and it works you know um with with the great lakes being such clear water and 
and all that, you've, you've got to have a, a smaller boat and have a perfect, uh, cause we have, you know, it's just like the ocean. We get big waves and most of the time on the wind, there's on average, I'd say just about any day on Lake Michigan, there's going to be at least a two foot wave. You know, we have many days during the middle of the summer where it's, we might have, you know, four or five days in a row of slick, flat, calm water. And that's when you'd want to do that. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. And, and sometimes you, it's a crap shoot, you know, it's such a big lake that, where's the bait going to be you know and when we're out there every day you kind of know okay the bait's been hanging in 90 foot of water you know hey it's a clear day jump in a bass boat or a you know something like that where you can make up some some speed something fast so that way you can cover water that's how you have to do that or or like a flat boat you know essentially be able to cover a lot of a lot of ground in a small amount of time i really want you to get your info out there on how people can get a hold of you get a guided trip in on either lake lake michigan or or its tributaries just before we do that any crazy fish stories in the past few years that have happened to you on your time on the water i always like to ask that because inevitably something weird or wonderful will happen well last year i guess i'm just trying to think of what happened to me last summer last summer we had uh we caught one of the biggest lake trout that we've ever caught on lake michigan it was mid-20s um and which is not a giant, it's a, it's a big one, but it's not a giant. Um, we had, we thought we had run bottom because we'll run our, uh, our, our trolling balls, our, our downrigger balls for lake trout. We will run those right on the bottom. And oftentimes they'll get snagged in either a, um, a white fish net, a commercial net that has blown loose and lays on the bottom. It's quite common. And when you're dragging your, your cannonballs on the, on the bottom, you'll catch those. And most of the time you lose your, your gear. And uh, we thought we had caught a net and we were like, oh no, we got to reel in these lines. And we were already just about done for the day. So we were pretty much reeling lines in anyways. We said, okay, we're not losing the downrigger ball. Let's just stop the boat, reel everything in, and we'll try to get this thing unhooked. You know, maybe we can just back up a little bit or let the, the wind blow us out of it. And we got our stuff in and, and I've got this guy who said, here, this is the one that I think is caught on the net. I just need you to reel that one in until it gets tight. And once you feel tension, just stop. And he's like, man, this thing, it's coming up. He's like, it's, it's like, I'm on, I'm at my leader. Like it's on, it's, it's fighting. Like it's a fish. And we're like, what the heck is going on? And we get the hookup and for our spoon, we get the, get the spoon up and we see that there, we have tangled into another line and we didn't know whether we had tangled into one of our lines. And then we get the, we use planer boards to separate our, our lines, our right. individual lines. And we, uh, we get it in and at the end of the hook, there's a planer board and another copper line. We use copper line as, um, like a sink, like a sink tip, like a, a sinker. Mm-hmm. So our main line is copper and we, we have braid, you know, 50, 65 pound braid behind that as backing. And, the, and right before your actual main copper line is where that planer board goes. So we had the whole rig from the planer board down to the copper, all the way down to the leader, to the spoon. And then there was a fish on that spoon. <laughs> and we're like what is going on here and you could tell this thing had been down there for a long time and so we're pulling in this copper by hand you know we already got our stuff in put the rod in the rack we're pulling in this copper and there's there's a big fish on it <laughs> we're like what is going on and you can tell that this line has been laying on the bottom for a very very long time and wow. we didn't really look in and uh just and we have to write our names in uh on these planer boards so that way if anything is lost you know, that it can be, you know, brought back or whatever. And I pick up the, the planer board and I go, Oh, that's Dominic's board. And then I'm thinking, man, I was on his boat last week 
Dominic, he's another charter fisherman, friend of mine. Right. I'm like, man, we were just fishing on his boat last week. And I had lost a fish that I found this one spoon that was just hammering kings. And sure enough, we reeled that line in and there was a king on it that I had lost three days before in that same area. Wow. Like there was mud all over the planer board. There was slime on it. That fish had stayed hooked and stayed hooked up for three or four days and stayed in that area and was continuing to feed with a spoon and 300 yards or 300 feet of copper and a planing planer board on that. And we caught it three days later. <laughs> I, I love those. <laughs> I love those crazy stories like that. It's amazing how often they yeah. happen. Yeah. And so, and what we were thinking is the, the fish was still suspended obviously. And then obviously he's got three or 400 feet of line and a, and a, and the planer board floats. That's what really got, to, got us. Cause we don't know whether, the line, like we drove into the line, and since that one line was all the way down to the bottom, the downrigger cable was all the way down to the bottom. We don't know if it just caught on that and then got tangled up in our spoon or in our rig, and then that's how it got in there. We have, we, we really don't know. I mean, we're expecting that's what it was. Just, you know, once in a while we'll pick up garbage or a, a bag or, you know, you get weeds or, or something like that, and your downrigger balls from dragging them on the bottom. But right. that's, that's the best find we've ever got. I mean, and I got my spoon back, my favorite spoon. <laughs> That's so, nuts. to me that was the most important part like wow we got that fish back he didn't die i mean he died we ended up keeping it but um you know it didn't suffer we didn't uh yeah. didn't just send it out there to live the rest of its life with it yeah crazy stuff. Like that. But, yeah that was that's about the craziest fish story i can think of you know, we've been chatting today with jason rose from j rose outdoors out of nuego michigan Jason, Dallas in on how we find you as far as uh, getting a guided trip on uh, Lake Michigan or the Tribs. How do we uh, look you up? Okay, I, uh, I'm on social media at J Rose Outdoors on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, you can get a hold of me. Call my number, 231-250-2375. Um, I'm available anytime. Cool. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I wish you a, an awesome season on on the hard water and the soft water once we start warming up here. But uh, have a great season. All right. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water. Mm-hmm.